you'd like to stand and join me in worship, that'd be awesome. Joining online, thank you so much. We're happy to have you here.
sin Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Come today, there is no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open
precious blood of Jesus Christ who come to the altar the Father's arms are open wide forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ I bear your cross as you wait for the crown Tell the world all the treasure you've found Um, this week when I was picking music, I was trying to find music that fit the theme, and I was trying really, really hard, and I was reminded of a song, I Love You, Lord, and everyone knows that as, like, a simple song is, like, I don't know, like a, a nursery rhyme, or just, like, like a quick little, you know, whatever, and everyone knows it, we grew up singing it, but... To sing it as a worship song and to really sit in that. Oh, it is so good just to say that I love you, Lord. So I know that this is a song that everyone knows, but really lean in. Lean in and listen to what the Lord has for you. Even with us singing a song that's so familiar and so looked over sometimes. Lean into what God has for you. to worship 
God, I pray that we don't pass that by, that we don't look it over, but that we take that simple, familiar song, God, and let it be the cry of our hearts, that what we do, who we are, our actions, God, that it's a sweet sound to you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. You know what? That was beautiful, wasn't it? It's all right to applaud. You're in church, but you can applaud. Yes. Oh, that was lovely. Good morning. My name is Harvey, as most of you know. And uh, even though the sun is not shining outside, the sun, Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father, is shining in this sanctuary this morning. Can I get an amen? I'm up here to... Um, Get someone to raise their hand and tell us about what your week was. Uh, they call it a testimony, and uh, last week was phenomenal. Uh, you know, I was, I was in the presence of God every moment last week, and I hope that you were too. But let's, uh, let's have a, somebody raise their hand and tell us what went on in your week with God last week. There's, I'm sure there's somebody that wants to speak. We are all brothers and sisters there today, aren't we? So let's uh, show me your hands, and I'll come up there with the microphone. All right, I'm, if not, I might just stand here all day. <laughs> uh, well, while you're thinking about raising, I, I'm going to tell you a little. St there we are. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning, church. Um, you guys may know that my daughter is Jacqueline. She is rather vocal when she comes. Um, but I just wanted to thank God this morning for a prayer answered that Jacqueline's been working at the Kroger on Greenfield now for, for a bit, and uh, it's working out. So thank you, God, for that, and go visit her if you get a chance. I love Jackie. She's a unique young lady. Anyway, I love Jackie. So I was going to tell you, uh, this last week, I had what we call a heavenly interception. Uh, what does that mean? Well, Wednesday, someone called me, hey, you want to play golf? And I said, yeah, I always want to play golf. And um, we're all set. He was going to pick me up on Saturday. Friday, I get a call and said, Harvey, we got a problem. We don't have enough people to help pass out food 
from Gleaners. Uh, they pass out food every Saturday to about 100 people, 100 cars actually, that come to the school. So I said, no problem, I'll be there. So I called the fella from church here and I uh, said, I can't play golf because I got a call. And that call was not only from a friend that works for Gleaners, but also that call was from God. And um, heavenly interception, probably pastor, would be one great title for a sermon. Heavenly interception. Wouldn't that be great? Yes, there are a lot of stories. Remember, Jesus is talking to somebody in this crowd in this room, and all of a sudden, the ceiling falls in. Down comes the guy, and he heals him. No one knows what Jesus preached that day, but we'll never forget what he did. So, but he was interrupted, right? His uh, sermon was interrupted. All right, I told you my story. Let's see. Anybody else would like to speak? Okay. You as well? No? I'll get through here. Good morning. So this is my first time in the building since COVID, and I'm only here because my dear friend is going to be talking today. So yay, Amanda. <laughs> um, so on July 6th, my dad went into the hospital. His doctor sent him. He has congestive heart failure, has a defibrillator, has asthma. With the heat and everything else, just wasn't doing too well. He was in the hospital for a week and a half, and during that time, I asked for prayers from everybody I knew. Um, my parents and myself don't put a lot of pers look, whole bunch of personal stuff on Facebook. I even was like, hey, I believe in corporate prayer, putting this out there, please play, please play. So he got, I say, he got himself together. He was released to come home. Um, he's on a little bit of oxygen right now, but God is so good because he's only on a little bit of oxygen and he made it out of the hospital and his heart is still doing well. They need medication adjustments and he has to have like a new sleep study. But um, he was at my husband's birthday party yesterday, which is all I wanted was for him to be here. So he's starting to, um, he had been historically taking his health very seriously. And after you've been diagnosed with something, you know, you get a little lax after a while, right? So he had gotten a little lax, stopped exercising and doing something. So he said while he was in the hospital, I guess I need to go back to doing what I did before. You think? I think you do. Um, so he is on the mend. Um, and I said this the week before that when my husband had a thing, I still believe in the power of prayer. So don't forget that when you're going through something to pray because God hears you and God listens. And ask people to pray for you in those situations and pray with and for other people. So I think more than the story is the prayer. Don't forget to pray. And Harvey just said intercessions from heaven. And that's like those intercessory prayers or even those God help breath prayers. Don't forget to pray. That is like your, to me, that's your 911 to God. You know, that is your, that's your main, Jesus on main line, that's your main line. <laughs> so don't forget to pray. It, prayer works. And for anyone that prayed for my family, I appreciate it. Um, you don't know how much I appreciate it. I wish I could hug everyone that prayed for our family during that week because it was kind of difficult. That is all. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? 
Oh, welcome, welcome to our guests uh, here for the first time. We hope that you enjoy yourself and that you are blessed by our word today. Uh, now I'm supposed to release the Summit and Treehouse Kids. So kids, there's somebody in the back there. Manya is back there to bring you up. And thank you so much. I, I don't know, somebody's doing the announcements, right? Oh, are you doing the announcements? Well, come on up here. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Good morning, everybody. I'm Tom, if you don't know me. And I'm Tom, if you do know me. So, um, the first thing we'd like you to do this morning is to take a moment to let us know you're here by filling out either the digital green card, or connection card, rather, on the website, or the physical card, which, if you're new, is scattered around the church in the pews. Some of them have them, some of them don't. But um, you could also, if you're new to Genesis, text the phrase with no spaces, new to Genesis, to the number 94,000, and that will enroll you into uh, receiving those weekly text messages. Um, if you are one to do the physical card, you can actually place it in the wood box at the back of the sanctuary on your way out. Uh, let's see here. It's a long list today. Um, if you uh, are participating in virtual giving, uh, digital giving through your phone, we appreciate your generosity. Um, that being said, if you are somebody that wants to give the old-fashioned way, we have envelopes scattered around the church that can also be put into the box at the back along with your green card so we know you're here and who you are. Uh, we're looking to, I'm going to put my stuff down, i got too much stuff here. We're looking to create a place of belonging. That's one of the high values in this church is, is the community aspect. And so if you are willing to host a gathering this summer, maybe an evening in the backyard by a fire or a picnic lunch or summer games or some other creative opportunity to bring people together, um, we would love for you to reach out to Pastor Nate and he will help you get that scheduled. And if you're sitting here right now going, who would be crazy enough to invite everybody into their home or into their backyard? I am that crazy, and our house will be the location this evening. The address is posted outside. Um, if you can see me or my wife, Jenna, who's hiding in the back, per usual, um, anytime throughout service or afterward, we'd be happy to give you that address. But uh, come hang out at our hood in the woods. That's Gross Point Woods on the east side, not Huntington Woods on the west side. We would love to have you this evening at 7. If the weather cooperates, bring a chair. If the weather does not cooperate, you don't need a chair because we're just going to move inside. So we're not canceling. We want you to come on out and hang out with us. Genesis is currently looking for a youth ministry, uh, ministry director to lead the middle and high school kids. It's a part-time position with a ton of flexibility. If this is something that you or someone you know might be interested in, please stop by the garden desk for more information. Manya will be out there today, I believe, and she would love to talk to you about that. And lastly, we are in need of a few summertime volunteers to brew coffee on Sundays. You like drinking coffee? At least if you make it, you know what you're drinking. <laughs> no, it's always good. I made it today, so I, I put extra, extra special goodness into it today. Um, and you can check your interest on the green card for that as well. At this time, um, I'd love for you to, uh, I'd love to release you for connection. So go say hi to somebody you know, and, and go say hi to somebody.
participate with that if you'd like. It is not very good tasting, but we know what it's about. Good morning, I'm Bowen, the pastor's here. We are, um, parts of our rhythm is that we, we know that one of uh, the things that we really love is that every one of us hears from God. And any one of us on any given day can share what God's saying to them. And one word from God can change anything. One word changes your circumstances, your perspective, can take us from, from filling in the, in the depths and the pit to receiving life. And so as a practice, we love to invite other people to share. What are you hearing? We call it fresh bread. Like, what's that? What is that that you're hearing from God? What's God teaching you? What's the thing you can't get out of your mind? What's the thing that you have to open your mouth and share? Now, majority of us do not want to do that, especially in a context like this. It's intimidating. It, it, can, be, it can be odd. It's stressful. But we always love giving the invitation and for somebody being willing to say yes. They say yes because they feel God has been speaking to them. And they're willing to take those steps. They're willing to open their mouths. They're willing to serve. They're willing to love. They're willing to share. They're willing to be vulnerable and do the best to explain something, hoping that it would connect. So Amanda Hines is going to be sharing with us this morning. Amanda is a long-time friend. She's part of the Genesis staff team. She's been working on communication stuff. Amanda has been teaching us for years. She's been teaching our children. She's been teaching our middle schoolers. She's been teaching a study in her home that meets on Friday nights. She has been opening her mouth and teaching us for years. And for years, I've been asking her, Amanda, would you, would you be willing to share and usually it's something like, get out of my face. What are you doing? What are you trying to do? It, it usually goes something like that. But Amanda also knows that a lot of times she'll come in, and she even remembers this story, but she'll come in and she'll be excited about what she has heard. And she's like, Bo, you need to teach this. And usually when somebody tells me what I need to do, I usually tell them, no, I think you need to do it. You know? Um, so again, if you feel free to tell me what I need to be teaching and usually I'll be like, oh, that's amazing. I agree, but I think you should do it. And um, I've been asking for a long time. And we asked this summer, and Amanda said yes. And so I'm so, so excited. I trust her. I love her. I know you guys do. This is our family. And so we're excited to have our friend. Now, if you're new, and this is Amanda. But we're excited to be open today. To be open today for what God has for us, um, to have our ears open, to celebrate the goodness of God as Amanda shares it, and um, potentially maybe there's a word for us today. Maybe God wants to speak to you and to me, and we want to be open to that, because one word from God can change everything, and God is really, really good. And so whether you're on Zoom or on Facebook or here live, we're excited for that opportunity to encounter the love of God this morning. Amanda, you ready? 
I told Amanda if she blacks out, her husband Richie is going to be stepping up. They've got two daughters here in the front row. They're teenagers. We know that if Richie, if she blacks out and Richie takes over, he's a man of few words. It'll probably be God bless you and then we'll all go. So, um, but we'll be with that. We're excited. It's going to be fun. I know she is nervous, but let's, um, let's pray and bless Amanda and then prepare ourselves today to hear from her. So God, we thank you for Amanda, our friend, one that we love, one who has been a blessing to many of us. We thank you for her willingness to say yes to you. We know that's not a rare thing. We know this is how she lives. And so, so Lord, we, we receive from Amanda as we're receiving from you. We open our hearts and our minds, and we open our ears to you. And so, um, Father, would you open our eyes and minds to the beauty of your word? And would you fill your daughter with the boldness and the joy and the life that you have already given her? And may she share as if Jesus was sharing himself. Amen. Amen. All right, you ready? All right, here we go. Oh, and if you didn't hear, we're doing communion. So if you're on Facebook or Zoom and you want to go grab um, something at home, like a piece of bread or that, but later we'll be taking that together for those of you so we can be reminded of that. Thank you, Bo. Or not thank you. <laughs> Good morning, church. All right, I'm used to teaching the children and I'm used to teaching my Bible studies. So if I ask you a question, please answer back. <laughs> Need some interaction. Um, I was petrified to do this, petrified. Um, but this morning I got up and something just kind of settled over me. And I remember that the only thing I'm doing today is telling you why I love God. That's it. Because I love him. I really, really love him. And that's, that's, that's the only, he's the focus. He's the focus of this. So that's what I want to get up here and do. Um, I was brought up in a very conservative church where, uh, in the South. And I straddled the line of um, loving God, but also being terrified of him. I grew up with the sign that said, hey, if Jesus was to come back right now, where would you go? You know, that fear. Um, and it was hard to kind of press into God when you were petrified of him, you know? I knew he was good and I knew he was powerful and almighty, but I was still scared, but he keeps, you know, in the New Testament, it talks about press into him, come to him. He loves you. And I'm thinking that, you know, he's over here with this bolt of lightning waiting for me to mess up. And, uh, but that's not him. That's not him. Um, I had prayed for wisdom and a friend of mine, um, Jane Kinney, was telling me about this man named Shane Willard who had come to our church. And she said, um, he has this really amazing way of kind of unpacking the scriptures by using historical context and culture um, to kind of 
make the scriptures, you know, jump off the page. So it was like reading something new, um, even though you've already, you know, read the Bible. Um, but I will warn you now, um, I'm from Louisiana, and my daughter has let me know that when I say Wells, W-E-L-L-S, it sounds like W-H-A-L-E-S. So I'm not talking about a fish. I'm talking about a hole in the ground with some water in it, the whale. Okay. <laughs> now that we got that out of the way. Okay. So um, not too long ago, Bo asked, what was our hell no about our hell no's? Um, it's the, whatever injustice comes up and we feel, you know, compelled to move into action because that's, that's not going to happen on your watch. Mine was and is using the Bible as a weapon because I love God. My relationship with him is a, real, it's a personal relationship, but it's a true relationship. I am in love with him, and it makes me angry to think that some, someone is using the Bible as a weapon to control people, to criticize people, to condemn people, um, because that's not my father. Um, I don't know if you know, at one time, the church used uh, Noah cursing Ham as a way to justify slavery, just because Ham's descendants um, ended up in Ethiopia and in Africa. That's a, that's a real thing. I've, I actually was told that as a young girl in Louisiana. So yeah, um, using the Bible as, as a weapon is a hell no for me. Um, but to be effective, I had to learn. So I, I started watching um, videos from the man that we were, I was just talking about, Shane Willard. I'm trying to kind of segue into my notes. Um, and I learned that it depends on how you look at the scriptures. You can't just look at the scriptures from your point of view or from the 21st century lens. You have to take into historical, you know, into the word, the historical context, um, the culture, what was going on then, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, uh, yes, that's my fresh bread. Um, every time you look, slide, um, every time you look at the Bible, you have to ask two questions. Um, what's happening? And more importantly, what's happening inside of me because of what is, what is happening? Any message you hear, you want Jesus to be bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central, and scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I'll start with a story that serves as a backdrop or the symbolism for this message. Um, there was an American tourist and he visited a cattle ranch in Australia. And um, first of all, they're not called ranches in Australia, they're called stations, which was kind of odd, but anyway. Um, he was amazed at how big the properties were there. Um, this ranch was 70 miles long by 30 miles wide. That's almost the state of Connecticut. And uh, something else that surprised him was that there weren't fences around the entire property. The cattleman told him, he said, it would cost too much to you know, fence in the entire area what we do is we build, he had a um, surveyor come in and they dug strategic wells 
strategically placed in, inside the paddock. And when the cattle got used to that predictable water source, they didn't, they didn't go far because they knew they would die. The cattleman told the, the tourist, he says, mate, that's my Australian accent, um, mate, if you have the right wells, you don't need all those fences. Okay. And that leads us to Jesus. So Jesus shows up in one of the most fence-based times in histories. There are 613 rules for who's in, who's out, who's right, who's wrong, who's clean, who's unclean. But Jesus shifted the whole paradigm to two fence posts. Love God and treat others as you want to be treated. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery? Um, Leviticus 20 and 10 said that she was supposed to be stoned. Actually, they were trying to trick Jesus because um, they were supposed to bring the man and the woman for punishment, but of course they just brought the woman. Um, but Jesus did not stone her, like the scripture said. He turned the tables and he asked the ones who were accusing her, have you sinned? So they then had to pause and say, hmm, do we want our sins to be put on display like this woman's? And the answer was no. So of course they put down their stones. I still wonder what Jesus was writing in the, in the dirt. I wonder if it was a list of all of their sins and they were like, ooh, I really don't want him to tell that. So, yeah. Um, as followers of Jesus, we should strive to see the world the way Jesus saw the world, see God the way Jesus saw God, and apply scripture the way he applied scripture. By fulfilling scripture, by doing unto others as we want them to do unto us. Which leads us to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is about people who took Jesus seriously. And amazing things started to happen. God was reaching out to people who were considered disqualified by the law. And just in case you don't know, um, if you were not Jew, you were Gentile. That's it. So we were disqualified. So the disciples had to shift their way of thinking to um, if a person wanted in, they believed that God could do all of the shaping, all of the um, transforming in that person. It wasn't their job. Their only job was to facilitate or support that person and celebrate their yes to God, leaving all of the work, the internal work for God to do it because apparently, you know, God is capable. Sometimes we forget that. In Acts 8, it's Philip's turn to put his evolved faith into action. So Acts 8, 26 to 30, 38 says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an, imp an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandak, 
which means the queen of the Ethiopians. Um, in other words, he was important. He took care of her treasure. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. A spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. First of all, how odd is it when you hear something from the Holy Spirit, you run for it. I mean, he ran, the Holy Spirit told him to do it, and he ran for it. It's kind of a humbling thing. Bo asked me to do this, and I did not run for this. Okay, sorry. Um, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip to go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. Sorry, I read that twice. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led, led like a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who was the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my getting baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water and Philip baptized him. Now, if you're like me, you probably read the story and you probably didn't think much about it. I've just kind of read over it. But let me show you how a little bit of historical context can give you your fresh bread. So let's start with some questions. Um, why did Luke in not include the eunuch's name? I mean, he, he, he could have stopped at Ethiopian. He could have said the Ethiopian, but he said eunuch. Five times, you tell, you're telling people that this man is missing a part of his anatomy. Can you imagine being only called by the thing that you're most ashamed of? You know, hey, that's Amanda, you know, no, not Amanda, that's the girl with the third toe, the three toes, you know, just, I can't, I can't imagine. Um, also, why did this man travel 2,394 miles to worship in a place where he didn't understand the language and he wouldn't be accepted because of the laws, because he's a eunuch. What was so compelling about Isaiah? Why, had, why was he driving and he had to pull over and, and try to read this scripture? The last question and probably the most important was, is there a reason he shouldn't be baptized or he couldn't be baptized? Was there something preventing him? This is where we have to ponder. Are we gonna be a fence-based church or fence-based thinkers or will-based church or will-based thinkers? Because remember, if you have the right wills, you don't need all those fences. 
let's set the table. Um, Philip is an original disciple of Jesus. So for the sake of this text, let's consider him a Jesus expert. This, this eunuch hears what Philip has to say and he's in. He's like, sign me up. I like this Jesus guy, he's amazing. I wanna do the things that you guys are doing in the kingdom, I'm all for it. Um, so he asked this Jesus expert if there's any reason he can't be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. Any reason why he couldn't be excluded, why he would be excluded, because remember, he's come to Jerusalem to worship and he couldn't get into the temple. So he wants to know, is there anything that disqualifies him? Now, if this were a movie, this would be the dun, 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 because, because Philip is a devoutly orthodox Jewish man, and he would have lived by all 613 fences. He would have known that there was indeed a verse that disqualified this eunuch. Let's go to Deuteronomy 23, 1 through 3. This is Moses. No one who has been emasculated or crushing by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. All of the men are like, um, no one born of a forbidden marriage nor any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even the 10th generation. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord not even in the 10th generation. So to sum up, eunuchs aren't allowed in the temple. God doesn't accept eunuchs or those in a forbidden marriage. God doesn't accept foreigners, Ammonites, or Moabites. That's a lot of no. There are more fences in these three verses than there is in Jesus' entire ministry. Remember his two fence posts were love God, and treat others as you want to be treated. By the way, Jesus' very existence challenges these scriptures. Um, there was uh, some question around Jesus' conception and birth, you know. Um, but yet, Mary and Joseph got married. And if you look into Jesus' genealogy, you'll find Ruth. And Ruth was a Moabite. See how the, how the Bible is moving. Philip could have easily said, I'm sorry, um, but there's a scripture in Deuteronomy 23 and it dis disqualifies you. But remember, Philip had met Jesus and learned to fulfill scripture instead of just being right about the, that one verse. Again, why Isaiah? Why was the eunuch so interested in the book of Isaiah? probably because three chapters down, it says this. Isaiah 56, three through seven. Oh, y'all, God is so good. Oh, he's so good. Um, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant. To him I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. 
and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servant, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring in my holy, to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, all nations, everybody, all of us, everybody. So can you see why this man traveled 200 and 200, 2,394 miles to get to the temple in Jerusalem? And why he was pulled over on his way back home, just, you know, just trying his best to study this, this scroll. He was wanting to soak, soak up those affirming words because those were affirming. I mean, you have this disfigured man who's missing a part of his anatomy and he's seen his damaged goods. Um, yet there's this prophet who's saying, if you're a eunuch, if you're a foreigner and you want in, not only are you in, but I'm going to give you a name that's higher than the people who just told you you can't get into the temple. That's power. So Deuteronomy 2.23 says, no foreigners, no eunuchs. Isaiah 56, upon further review, God is nicer than what we thought, so eunuchs and foreigners, if you want it, you're in. Then by Acts 8, we have an encounter where Philip can be right about Deuteronomy 23 and send the eunuch away, or he can be right about Isaiah 56 and embrace the eunuch, or instead of being right about either verse, he can apply scripture like Jesus applied scripture and treat the man as he wanted to be treated. That's fulfilling the scripture. That's fulfilling the scripture, treating people the way you want to be treated. Okay. Don't murder anyone. Okay. That's... Don't murder anyone. Hopefully, hopefully you're not, not murdering someone because the Bible told you not to. Hopefully, you're not murdering anyone because it's not nice. It's not good. You don't, you don't do that. You're not murderers. That's why you're not murdering people. Don't be nice. I mean, not, don't be nice. Don't be right about one verse if it doesn't lead you to be kinder and to be loving to people. That's why you're not murdering. That's what I was trying to say. Um, you're not murdering people because you have love. You have love. And that love comes from above. It was put inside of you. That's a powerful thing that God extends his love, breathes his love into you. So that not only do you feel loved, but you express love. That's the God we serve. Okay, I've got off. Sorry. Um, so, 
does this mean that Moses was wrong? Because he said, no foreigners, no eunuchs. I think it's a little more complicated than that. Um, Father meets us where we think he is, and then he moves us forward. He meets us where we think he is, and then moves us forward. Have, have any of you read the, um, the story about Abraham and when God asked him to sacrifice his son? That's, that's a pretty heavy passage. That's one of those, okay, we won't talk about that. I have to remember that God is good, God is good, God is good. Because I think about how much I love my children. And, but I'm gonna, mostly, yes. Um, but I want to give you a different framework to work in. Moses, in his culture, sacrificing your children was the norm. It was what they did. He was an idol worshiper before God called them out. So it would, did you ever wonder why Moses didn't say, no, God, no, you can't take my son. It was because that's what he was used to. So it didn't surprise him that God asked him to do that. God met him where he thought God was. This is what gods do. They want you to sacrifice. And so this God is, he's following the line of what I believe gods do. But then our God said, no, I'm going to supply this ram in the bush for you because I want you to know that I'm different from those those idols. I'm your God who's giving to you, not taking away. Now that deserves a hallelujah. Okay, remember how earlier I told you that I'm used to teaching children and my Bible study? So hallelujah is Hebrew for praise God. So I'm going to need everybody one more time to say, there you go. See, look at that. Okay, all right. Now, if you, and I said all this to say, if you want to ruin the Bible, think about it statically. Um, the definition of static is lacking in movement, action, or change. The Bible is not a static record of God. Yes, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but the journey that he brings us or that, you know, from the start of the Bible until the revelation of Jesus Christ is a journey. So the Bible is not a static record of God. It's a dynamic, progressive, moving revelation of God leading to the final revelation in the risen Christ. In other words, God is like Jesus. He's always been like Jesus. We didn't know it, but now we do. And that God is so awesome that he conquered death by dying and raising again, clearing away the barrier of death so that we could get to the other side. That deserves a... Hallelujah. You better say it like you mean it. All right. 
So the fruit, you know, that's how Jesus taught us to um, test whether something was good or bad by the fruit that it produced. Today, two-thirds of Ethiopians are Christians. Now, the people in Ethiopia are, Ethiopia are indigenous. People don't, you know, move to Ethiopia. And the church, the Ethiopian church, traces their line back to this one eunuch. So um, there's a Bible up here, maybe. Okay. This is a picture of the world's first illustrated Christian Bible. It was discovered in an Ethiopian monastery and it's believed to have been written in between 330 and 650 AD, about 800 years before the King James Version. If, if Philip would have just tried to be right about a verse today, we would, we would be spending billions of dollars trying to send missionaries and Bibles and the pamphlets and all of this stuff to, to evangelize this nation. But we don't have to because somebody said yes and they decided to fulfill scripture instead of just being right about the one verse. Again, Jesus is calling us to be well-based thinkers instead of fence-based thinkers. Let's put some language around it because sometimes, you know, things get jumbled in interpretation. A, a fence-based church says, who's worthy? Acting like, <laughs> I wrote this in here just one time. I feel, I feel like fence-based people think like salvation bouncers. It's a tongue twister. You know, they're standing in front of the, you know, the doorway to the church and they just want to look you over and make sure that you believe all the right things. How do you know you're saved? You know, when was the last time you heard God talk to you? Um, are you dressed correctly? Do you have tattoos? All of these things, you know. Um, but a will place, place just asks, Who's, are you thirsty? Do you want it? Jesus removed the whole, are you worthy question and focused on who wanted it. Trusting that God, not the salvation bouncers, um, is capable of doing the internal work. All you have to do is turn towards him. A fence-based place obsesses on, obsesses, obsesses on sinning less and a will-based place focuses on loving more. Yes, I agree. You should not do things that will lead you to death. When we sin, this, it wears on you. And we, should, we shouldn't do things that wear on us that lead to death. But no one needs to be hit upside the head with a Bible. <laughs> one time my, um, my husband, when we were first um, dating, uh, we had a difference of opinion about the Bible. And I threw a Bible at his head. I've asked for forgiveness. <laughs> it was a long time ago, but he said he is going to get to heaven 
and tell God that I did that. Yes, I asked him, could I say it? And he said, okay, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, no one needs you to tell them how wrong they are. You, they don't need you to open the Bible and say, look, this right here says you're wrong, you're condemned. That's a fence-based place, that's fence-based thinking. A will-based place says, um, we need to love more. And if we love more, we will automatically sin less. If you love someone, you're not gonna steal from them. If you love someone, you're not going to, you know, tear them apart. So love more, you'll automatically sin less. A fence-based place says everything needs to be fixed. Fix your brokenness and you can belong here. A will-based place says nothing has to be hidden. Creating a shame-free space where people can come as they are and surrender their broken story to the Holy Spirit and watch as the Holy Spirit engages that broken story and create a better, to create a better narrative. Doesn't that sound better? That's good stuff. A fence-based place obsesses on a legal transaction. Jesus died for me so I can get to heaven. A will-based place says Jesus is someone to fundamentally shape the way we see all things, the way we see people, the way we see the world. A fence-based place focuses on the cross for us versus the cross in us. The cross should be the the cross should define how we handle injustice, revenge, offense, how we handle our enemies. The cross tells us how God truly is. That, that love, that sacrifice, that mercy, that grace. A fence-based place focuses on direction, excuse me, focuses on distance. How far, how far a person is from God asking questions like, do you believe our doctrines? Have you prayed our prayer? A will-based place focuses on the direction of the person's shoulders. Are they facing God? If they are, our job is to facilitate and celebrate every step they take in his direction, no matter how small the step is. I'm gonna share a story with you um, that Shane Willard shared in, in his video. And it's pretty powerful, and I want you to pay attention to how you feel on the inside when I, when I tell you. So there, um, he, was, he was invited to this church. It's a very well-based church. And um, there was, it was an event for, like, the team ministry, the, the church ministry teams. And he said there was, like, 400 people there. They were doing these 60-second testimonies on... Um, about where had they seen God during that week. And so this, this, the last guy gets up and he says, um, hello, everybody, um, I'm an atheist, but I'm a lonely atheist. And a friend of mine told me that you didn't care if I was an atheist, that I could still come to your church. So I showed up and sure enough, none of you cared if I believed in God or not. By the second week, I was asked to be a greeter on the door. And so my job 
is to be nice to people when they come and to tell them where the bathroom is. You are a church with an atheist door greeter. His God story was that today he was willing to take a step back and reconsider that God might be real. Can you imagine? This man was an atheist and he is now considering God because of the kindness of Jesus' followers. They didn't ridicule him. They didn't condemn him. They showed him love. Knowing that God is capable of doing the work that needs to be done inside a man's heart. It's not up to us. We don't need to fix anyone. God, I mean, do we think that God can only work halfway? Like, yeah, sure, he died on the cross, but we need to fix the people. No, God doesn't do anything halfway. He's also not a God that um, strong arms you into anything. So if someone is actually turning their shoulders to God, how dare we ridicule them? How dare we make them check off the list of, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. We don't have that right. Our job is to facilitate and celebrate every step they make towards him, every yes. Um, in John, there was a festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a time when the Jewish people traveled from all over the world. Well, I say world like they were over here, but anyway, from travel from all over and um, they lived in tents for seven days. They did it to remind themselves of a time when they didn't have a home. On the final day, there was a closing, there's a closing ceremony at the temple. By the way, the temple was a direct representation of this fence-based time. There were certain parts of the temple that you could only go into if you had the right lineage. And if you were lame, blind, a eunuch, and a whole host of other things, you couldn't even get inside the temple. It's in this setting that Jesus stands up and makes this revolutionary statement. So, John 7, 37 through 39. On the last and final day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit. Can you imagine how stunned those people were? They've been taught their entire lives that God's presence, the presence of God, was in the innermost room in the temple. And only certain people were good enough or worthy enough to go inside the temple. You had to be born of the right, you know, with the right lineage to even, you know, get close. 
And then there are some people who just, who couldn't even get in. And then Jesus comes out and says, anyone who wants it can have it. Anyone. That's the God I love. He's so good. He's so good. He's not this, he's not a God on a, on a hilltop somewhere. He is right here with me. And I know he's right here with me because I'm still standing. <laughs> so I don't really know. All right, so I have a question. Do you feel like there are fences around you? Does anyone feel like there are fences around them? Do you feel like, um, there are things that, that keep you far from him because you feel dirty, you feel unworthy, you've been told you're dirty and unworthy, or you just, you know, read something in the Bible and you're like, mm, this makes me dirty and unworthy. So you kind of keep God at a distance. I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I am. I have. And it constantly, I'm constantly being reminded by my loving God that mm, I love you. I love you. Period. I want you, period. There is freedom in that. That's not saying that I'm get, I get everything right. My husband knows I do not get everything right. And he'll let me know. But I am loved in spite of that. I think we forget that God is a father. If you have children, you know your children get on your nerves but you love them. And that, he loves us better than we even love our children. One of my favorite, I'm gonna leave you with this, one of my favorite verses is Philip 1.6. Not Philip, Philippians 1.6, I wrote Philip. Um, being confident in this, he who has begun a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ. So when you fall, get back up. Because apparently, God's like, I'm not gonna stop. Believe me, you are not powerful enough to be the person that breaks God. You're not. You're not that person who has just committed that one sin that God's like, yep, nope, nope. Can't deal with her, we have to put her on a, you know, a list. You're not that good. He loves you. And he cares. And I just want you to love him like I do. Because he's so good. And whenever you read the Bible and you read those hard places where it's hard to reconcile God, um, with the loving father, look at historical context around it. Look at the cultural context around it.
because I promise you, all of it's leading towards Jesus, all of it's leading towards reconciliation, all of it's leading towards redemption, all of it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that I did not pass out. <laughs> Father, I, I, we, we love you. Sometimes it is hard to see past our situations, past the things that we're going through, past the obstacles and fences. But Holy Spirit, we ask that you be louder than the lies of the enemy, be louder than the lies that we tell ourselves, be louder than our doubts, be louder than the circumstances. Father, we just give, we give ourselves to you and just ask that you fill us, ask that you dwell within us, dwell beside us, let us feel you, Father. Just have an encounter with us. Every day, let us feel your presence. Order our steps. And Father, I know that you did not say that trouble wouldn't come, but you did promise to always be with us in the middle of it. So I just ask that in those times where we're going through the storm, that you make your presence felt by us. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor because this is about you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, one more time, let me hear it. Amen. Well, the other one. Amen. There you go, there you go. Amanda. Right, church? Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Stepping up, open your mouth. Telling us to drink. Thank you. Thank you. I've been doing it a long time, and I tell you what, you get, your head gets spun a whole bunch of different ways. But again, may we hear the whisper of God. So church, I'm going to invite Hannah up. Hannah's got, we got a song and we're going to worship with this song, and, and then we're going to be released to go. We want to take communion. And this was a moment in Jesus' life where it, it's got a lot of history, it's got a lot of story with wine and bread that connects to a ton of different stories within that first testament. Uh, but Jesus takes some bread and breaks it and says, this is my body. It's offered to you. Eat it. And he takes a wine, and he blesses God with it, and he says, drink it. This is a new covenant. It's a new relationship. The forgiveness of sins is there. Drink. And among them was one who's going to betray him. And yet he offers this to anybody. And so I love that question in that story, and I ask that same question. Is there any reason why you shouldn't eat and drink today? Any reason why you should say, I, I actually... I'm not sure about all I believe yet, or I don't got it all together, or I can't. 
we, we give you the freedom that Jesus said, are you hungry or are you thirsty? Come and eat and drink. Come close. Turn to me. I welcome you to my table. And Jesus was really generous at his table for anyone who was hungry and thirsty and said, eat and drink, and tomorrow or tonight you may betray Jesus. But you were still offered to the table to drink. Is there any reason why you should not? Now, there are some scriptures we can all go to that kind of tell you, you don't drink, eat and drink, if you, you know, and it's like, okay, uh, that wasn't the invitation of Jesus, and we can get into that, through that one story, but the overarching invitation of Jesus has come to the table. Come to the table. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Come to the table of Jesus. Come to that love that welcomes and forgives, that feeds. Consider Jesus again. And so maybe you come in and you're like, oh boy, it's been a long time since I even thought about Jesus. <laughs> and maybe you're here every week and you're like, yeah, it's been a week since I thought about Jesus. <laughs> Maybe there's a residue of Jesus that spills over every day, but the invitation for us to come and eat and drink of Jesus loves us and is drawing us and saying there's room for you at the table. So I want to invite you to stand, and the invitation is for all of us to eat and drink because of the love and the beauty of Jesus, who Jesus is, who says, I've made room for you at the table. And so in that way, too, May we eat and drink and then be people who can offer that love of Jesus, who is everything, to others. As this song is going, knowing that each of us will be saying yes to that meal that is offered us in Jesus, that collectively, all over the world, there are millions and millions of people who are doing this, recognizing the invitation of Jesus to the table. In every country, in every place around this world, this invitation is being offered. And people are doing it, saying yes to that invitation. And so I invite you, when you're ready, as Hannah's singing, the whole song's going to be about coming to the table and drinking. When you're ready, take that, that piece of bread, that little wafer, it's not actually bread, and take that little cup of juice, eat it, and drink it. As a way of you again saying, okay, yes, Jesus, yes. I'll say yes to your invitation to drink. There's no reason why I can't. You are welcoming me, and you love me. So let's sing and worship and eat and drink together.
come to the river taste and see Thank you, Anna. Hannah's new to lead and worship in our community, and we know she's gifted. And every time she leads, we're like, hey, did you know this song? She's like, no. I'm like, can you learn it, like, by tomorrow? <laughs> and Hannah's like, yeah, I can. You're a beautiful spirit to serve us. So appreciative of you. The story that Jesus said is like, hey, the, um, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And so we always believe the Lord is the one who was, who was the one who was sending people into the harvest. And so we praise God for that work that God is doing. May we who are thirsty continue to turn to Jesus. As Amanda told us, Jesus cried out super loud. He wanted to make sure everybody could hear it. If you're thirsty, come. And I will give you living water. He was talking about the Spirit. This river that will flow from within you. And may it be. Thank you, Amanda. God bless you, church. Tonight, there's an open invitation and an open, and an open table at Tom and Jenna's house. Their kids, their dog, their fire, their s'mores. They're going to have it open, and they're kind of saying, there is room for you. Um, it's written out on the board. It was sent in the text. We got little cards. If you want to come, come. Uh, and, but each Sunday, there's an invitation. We're trying to have an invitation to somebody's home to make room for us all uh, at the table. God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday. We hope to see you soon.